This is the South African Composers Archive. You will know my next guest for her ballets, Unsilenced and Give My Love to Sunrise, which were commissioned by the English National Ballet, as well as her upcoming ballet, Moon. You will know her for her work, More Than Minuses, with the poet Holly McNish. Uh, you will know her for soundtracks to films such as the documentary Elephant Refugees, Puro, and Albert Bechtold's Fantastische Reise, take that fine music radio. Um, <laughs> You will know her for her orchestral work, Long Walk, with performances by the Cape Philharmonic Orchestra as well as the KwaZulu-Natal Philharmonic Orchestra. I have with me uh, via Skype from London, uh, composer, performer and conductor, Laura Stevens. Thank you very much for joining me this Sunday afternoon. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Excellent. It's cold, exactly polar opposite Sunday afternoon to what you're probably having. At the moment, it is that kind of thing of like, okay, I really want to switch on my fan, so let's do these yeah. quickly. How British, how British was that to just talk about the weather? <laughs> just great, just to set the scene, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's jump straight into the gauntlet. Who or what inspired you to music? Jeez, you know, I should have decided I wanted to be hungry and full of self-loathing all the time no no not really um i i started playing i'm a pianist and a cellist in terms of performance and i started playing from a young age my family weren't professional musicians but always sort of dabbled and it was always part of the experience of growing up i guess went to lots of performances lots of lots of ballets lots of, lots of stage works i was always sort of listening to music and always sort of immersed in it and in terms of like the career side I was also quite a, like a scientific kid, you know, very, I'm, I'm from a medical family, actually, everyone's doctors in my family, and, and medicine seemed the thing that I would probably do, weirdly. And then I think there was just this sort of crunch point right after school where I sort of felt like it was a, a use it or lose it kind, yes. kind of scenario with music in the sense that I, I you know, I, I felt that I could probably let go of a lot of things if I didn't study it or have to let go and not have the time to do what I wanted to do. Um, right. I was writing I was writing from a, from a young age as well, but actually mostly songs in a kind of more contemporary sense. I did a lot of songwriting and singing at the piano and stuff like that, you know. Right. Full of, so teenage, like... full of teenage angst. Right. And, <laughs> sort of pop and, music stuff kind of thing. Yeah. I was in a punk band as well, like an all-girl punk band where we would sort of use an ironing board at the keyboard stand and stuff like that and try it. And, and that wasn't actually intentional. That was, that was good for a broke. I mean, but it's a good look. Everyone, like... saw, everyone saw it as a political statement. So. <laughs> but, right. But, you know, and they came up and said, oh, I love your use of, of, this, of this ironing board at the keyboard stand. It's just, you know, repurposing of domestic servitude. Yes. You know, and I was just like, no, actually, we just couldn't afford it. It was totally accidental. But, um, but it, it became this thing. But anyway, you know, I was very, I was, I was kind of, as a, as a teenager, I mean, I, I was doing my classical performing and playing in a formal sense and, and writing some instrumental stuff, but very much into writing songs, you know, because right. it's an outlet. Uh, and weirdly, I don't really write songs that much anymore. I, well, I mean, I, I write for voice, but like not in that in that right. context. Yeah. yeah, so it was kind of that, and I sort of fancied myself a bit of a, a creative musician, and, and I think I just sort of made this choice. Um, my, my parents always supportive of it, you know. Right. They, they, my dad said, don't do medicine, whatever you do. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> sort of the, it's the opposite of the usual story where yes. people discourage you, you know, from a, from a creative career. And then I studied at the, at the SACM at UCT, yeah. my undergrad there. Um, kind of starting out in performance, actually. You know, they had this weird sort of, I don't know if they still have it, there'd be different streams of, of the beamers. 
Yes. And um, started with performance and did composition sort of secondary. And then from second year, kind of decided that that I that I liked the composition side of things as a as a career option more. You know, so it wasn't like something that I always thought I was good, going to do as as a job. Um, it sort of just kind of happened. I, I certainly was always sort of germinating those seeds in the background. Right. Um, but but then the kind of application of it in a in you know or maybe I can earn money from this or or at least do it application. Uh, of, only really happened in university. Out um, of curiosity, outside of my kind of teenage aspirations of being in a band or something like that, yeah. you know, and making it big, um, which is just sort of fanciful. Um, <laughs> and, of, and in terms of like, I think, but perhaps the songwriting side of things did inform the way that I've used composition in this kind of mixed media way, because there's always this kind of seed that non-musical, in the sense of like, you know, film music, ballet music, writing for voice, writing from text a lot. And that kind of, you, you know, I, I, I am a kind of a cross-pollinator and a kind of a collaborative musician in that way um, with other creative art forms. So I think that style was kind of always there. Right. I find it quite hard to sort of write abstractly, just jump off, you know. So, I mean, yeah, it's weird looking back at these things but because it just feels like a lifetime away. But, <laughs> Out of curiosity, yeah, when think, you were studying the... So you, I remember you were a couple of years below me at UCT, if I remember correctly. Like, when you started studying there, was there already a composition stream again, or was it still the general stream? It had, I think, the formalization of that composition stream, which was under, um, it was Klatso, Peter Klatso who did it. Um, And I think that happened in my second year. They were offering composition as a kind of a a course, but I think the actual formal stream, everyone had to do general in the first year, I think. And I think you specialized from second year. But actually, just coincidentally the composition stream kind of came to yeah. into being in the second year that I was there it's like 2005 right. it started in 2004 yeah. so I remember yeah, yeah. No, I remember when I still started that it was a thing of like there was no composition stream that you'd have to do a general yeah. and yeah, yeah. I saw it was sort of like near the end of my time there where they finally decided to bring it back and it was sort yeah. of this brief moment of like, at, by that point, I was like, okay, so if I now do a composition stream, these are all the extra courses that I need to catch up. If I just yeah. do a general, it's just like, okay, I can teach recorder for half a year. Like, uh, okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, as, as you mentioned, you studied composition at UCT. Did you have any other on, sort of yeah, uh, f- yeah. teachers around the time? Uh, while growing up or before you were at university? Nothing formal, really, you know. It, it, all of my music tuition was, was practical. Right. Sort of theory and harmony. I mean, I did music as a subject in, in, in my track, if that means anything. Right. Um, and, I mean, I had, had good teachers, definitely teachers that in, instilled. And, I mean, they encouraged me when I would come and bring them little songs. They would always encourage me, but it wasn't really instruction in that way. It was just sort of more support and kind of giving me a platform to play them and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so really my first sort of, I guess, formal composition lessons happened at university, to be honest. Right. Um, I saw in your bio that you had lessons with Alan Stevenson for a while. Yes. Uh, uh, so that was, he He took over from um, from Peter Katzer as, as my teacher at UCT for a short period. I think he, he was on sabbatical. I see. But then we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Um, but there was, Samro did a mentorship program in 2013 where they invited young composers to sort of pair up with a, with a more established South African composer and, right. and commissioned uh, a couple of works from us. And I was paired with Alan for I that see. project. So okay. I sort of had lessons with him. Yeah, no, I, I was just curious because I've never known him really to teach yeah. composition. 
So it was just sort of, uh, I I mean, I'm sure he does, but I've just never been aware of it. So it was just kind of interesting to see. It's like, ah, okay. So you say... Yeah, I mean, and then I went to, I went, after UCT, I went to um, Royal College of Music in London, which was obviously, you know, daunting. Yes. Um, But but really a good place. Um, And I, I did a master's in, kind of a dual master's in composition, and also they have a composition for screen program. So by that point, I'd also become invested in the idea of an application of my composition or not a, not to say that concert work doesn't have an application of course it does i just mean in a kind of a, a, a mixed genre you know how can i turn this into a, 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 a you know also thinking kind of financially as well but yes. also i think it played to my strength it plays to my strengths as a composer in some way to, to, to work collaboratively with other creative art forms you know with with stage work with with uh, visual media it just i am a visual thinker and i do kind of I, I slot into that role quite easily so i in my they kind of they, they try and not stick you with the same person the whole time um as your kind of main professor you you, you get switched around a little bit yeah. um, which i think is good because the professors they have all have different skill sets i mean they'll put you with someone who, who you request or, or suits you um but they, they bring something different you know in the beginning i had a really brilliant um, young german uh, guy called vasco hexel who's now actually the head of the department for composition for screen right um and, uh, and a british composer called howard davidson who does a lot of a lot of bbc documentaries has a really broad skill set but quite subtle has a light touch you know um in his writing which i like and and then i also had joseph horowitz who is a cousin of vladimir horowitz actually okay. um, who's who's like 80 well he must be almost 90 now like really old and has such a wealth of information and uh, amazing teacher but knows nothing about the kind of technological skill set that you need to work in film composition so it was good that i had the others as well right um, to kind of balance that and then sort of in, in, in non-film composition, I had a really great uh, composer called Alison Kay, who's a, a British composer, as my as my supervisor. And so she worked, we worked well together. And yeah, so, so you know, you get, and, and they have, there's so many opportunities there to kind of network with, perform, to work with performers. They encourage you to, to work with performers. They get you involved with projects that are going on at the other London kind of creative colleges and universities. Like they pair you with people from the London Film School to work on student right. projects. They pair you with animation students from Central St. Martin's Art School. There's, there's a lot of focus on professional development, which I enjoyed, which I don't know that UCT did quite that well. Um, I don't know what it's like now, but certainly I think the, 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 like, the real net benefit I got from doing that master's was not so much even the musical instruction, but rather the kind of networking they set up, which yeah. then follows you into later life. And, yeah. and just the ability to rub shoulders with people from from everywhere, you know, I, I was chatting to uh, a nephew of a friend of mine, young young guy, and he's yeah. just recently started studying uh, at AFTER. And okay. we were talking about sort of the, the pros and cons of, of university. I, I think yeah. I've, I've definitely said this before on, on this show, like I've generally not been a huge fan of academia, but no, the most important <laughs> the, the yeah. most important thing about it is precisely the networking thing of just yeah. like obviously you're, you're learning things as you go along but it's yeah. that ability of just like you know be seen speak to people communicate with people if yeah. if in a heartbeat just somebody's like fuck i need a bassoonist then you know like okay i yeah. know who to speak exactly. to kind of thing yeah exactly and i think but also creatively i think you know i'll get to this a bit later but i think i'm not a fan of this like top-down influencing uh, I, I like to know what people around me are doing um, yes. with their art forms with their crafts 
whatever, you know, whether, whether they're a writer or a, a performer that's doing something interesting. I, 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 that's kind of, I draw so much inspiration. I feel motivated to work and to write when I listen to what other people are doing around me. Not in like a plagiarizing sense, but just in like yes. a, you know, like, like a, I, I, there's things that they do that inspire me to, to, to maybe take a different approach or to, to look for something, yeah. um, something beautiful. You know, I, I, I'm not really just like, oh, let's look back at what my mentor did. I think he kind of reinvented the wheel and it just like generates such neurosis in some, in, in me personally. And I think maybe in a, for a lot of people, whereas when I look around at like these amazing creative contemporaries I have, I feel much more just, just pushed. You know, I feel like I want to, to also contribute and I feel, I feel, energized yeah and i think so being in those creative those creative melting pot institutions uh if you can break free from the constraints they they sometimes kind of try and impose on you and just sort of see what's really going on uh, amongst your peers um, yes it can be really valuable so going back to like earlier stuff what was the first time that uh someone ever approached you and was like hey i'd like you to write something for me i think that was that was at um that was at uct a really good pianist friend of mine asked me to write him a piano sonata, which I did. And I, I don't know if he ever played it, you know. I don't know if I ever... But, but certainly, at, at, um, it, it, was, it was student work, you know, and, and at, at the Royal College is kind of where it sticks out more in my head. There was a course where you, called Contemporary Music in Action where you could kind of... It was like speed dating for musicians. You know, you could <laughs> pair yourself off with performers. Who Isn't that normal work. dating for musicians? Um, anyway, no. Huh? Isn't that normal <laughs> dating for musicians? Anyway. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. no, sorry. I mean, there's a crude analogy. But, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, you know, you would do this similar thing um, with the way the film department or the music uh, composition for screen department, we would actually go to, like, the London Film School or to Smith's College and we'd present our work, we'd pitch, we'd kind of stand up in front of <laughs> this class full of filmmakers and be like, well, this is what I do, you know. So you'd actually have to have quite a lot of portfolio stuff already, which is quite hard. Right. Um, and they would come up to you afterwards and be like, sort of nervously be like, oh, you know, I'm working on this. What do you think? And you kind of exchange business cards in the very old school. Right. Um, and and so, so that also kind of generated commissions. Just before I went to study, I did do a, um, I was commissioned to write a piece that involved marimba, uh, a, a trio. Is the Barang Gafi? Barang Gafi, yeah. So, yeah. And in fact, I, I, ended up, I, use, I ended up using it... Um, for uh, like a samurai competition as well, which I think was good because you kind of get on their radar a little bit. I didn't, I think, oh, so let's, I can't remember what, how far I got in it. I didn't win it, I know that much. Um, <laughs> one kind of remembers that. Like, not like you, I'm <laughs> sitting with, in high company here. Um, <laughs> I remember you winning this lovely award. When was that? That would have been 2006. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, oh, thank you. Know, it's a perspective, congratulations. As I say, like, um, it's 13 years know, late or whatever, but it's all close enough, but, yeah, I know. That was a, a kind of an early concept commission by Aaron Gatti, which I had forgotten about really a lot until this, this conversation, but I thought it was kind of a nice, you know, it was a nice sort of quirky thing with, with cello and flute and, and marimba and kind of shadows a little bit of what I do now, but not so much. And then there was film, there was film work, which was non-paid, uh, which was all student, student productions, but actually then led 
shortly after I graduated, one of the directors I worked with, um, Christina Rudolph, who's a Swiss uh, woman, and she's she's great. And I worked with her quite a lot while I was studying. She was from the London Film School, and right. we kind of she then went on when she so she we kind of formed a little partnership afterwards, and she got this. This film, it's a Swiss, it was sort of a Swiss film which was on TV. It was made for TV movies. Right. Albert, Albert Beck died Fantastische Reise. There you go. In fact, I don't even know if that ended up being the final title, but it was certainly the working title. Oh, it, it, um, it is the final. Uh, I did a little bit of research and that yeah, it is what it's called. Yes, yeah. it, it's a Swiss like dialect is actually the final title. So right. FMR can, can chew on that as well. But, um, <laughs> but, but the point is that he was a, it was a biopic of a Swiss dialect poet. And she, she had a very classical upbringing, and she, you know, always immersed in classical music, and it kind of gave you an opportunity to write in a very sort of thematic way, which was nice, because often with film, they don't want you to be too thematic, although that is what I'm good at. We'll right. That. So then she gave me a paid commission, like quite a nice big chunk paid commission, which was like my first real paid film commission with her. Which film was and, that? You know, that was Albert Bethel's. Oh, yeah. it's, oh okay, I see, um, right, right, sorry. That was a paid, that, you know, so, so there was student stuff, but it led to, to paid work, I see, I okay, I, I understand. Um, yeah. And um, I got to kind of record with with a fairly sizable orchestra in a nice studio here in London. You know, the Swiss have money. They got they, they got the money to back it up. Yes. Um, and they, they put a lot of money into the art. And it was really easy for them to get grants to make the film and, and, and that kind of thing. So that's something to think about as well. <laughs>
but yeah, so that was kind of the first page. So yeah, I mean, we digressed a lot from Barrow and Gaffey, but... Uh, <laughs> it's all connected. Early things. Yeah, no, oh, exactly. one, other thing, one other thing is, sorry, just yeah. thinking of um, early student work is... Um, I think the, uh, the the composition for screen department did pair us also with um, animators, and I really like writing for animation because I don't know it, it, you can be so creative with it, and it just everything is a little bit over the top, yes. and a little bit exaggerated and quirky, and um, and I worked with a really good stop motion animation um, uh, guy, uh, Max. I can't believe his sense just escaped now, but it will come back. Right, um, and and they were actually approached by the Royal Shakespeare Company to make a whole lot of short little microfilms based on Shakespearean plays and plots. And I worked with him on, on a... On a he, he used kabuki puppets, actually, in a stop-motion context. And okay. I wanted this very, like, Japanese Takamitsu-inspired score, which I kind of worked with him on. It's only, like, a minute and a half, but I really kind of enjoyed that. As right, well. right. Something which was really nice in the end. And it was used by the, the Royal Shakespeare Company. They screened it at their theatres and sort of... Right. Um, But I, I, I mean, of course, as, as we all know, like, I mean, you know, exposure pays the rent and such. And yeah, sure, doesn't it? So how do you work when you, like, be it for concert or when you, you do film stuff? Um, yeah, what is your process? I think the process, it really varies depending on what the work is going to be used for. So, you know, what genre, what, what media it's going to be mixed with. And, I, I, you know, with... So I'll start with film because actually I think this is kind of recursive influence on concert work from having done so much kind of applied music, whatever in quotes as well. Um, you know, with film you get you kind of you get a copy of the film already to work with. You're essentially the first audience member. Yeah. You know, and and often that will dictate a lot of the form. I mean, it will choose a lot of the variables for you and kind of locks you into a structure a little bit. But and and you know you might even get a temp track. <laughs> from the director who's kind of gone and sourced all sorts of things and then you have to think you know what is it about this that, that this person's responding to and how can i yes how can i make something that's authentic and that's me or that you know it, that serves it and still gives that effect that they're looking for often it's a pace that they're looking for or a kind of a, a sense of of being somewhere and, and and then i think you know ballet music ballet music you you work with a choreographer but you know they need your music in order to work themselves so they do need to have something at the outset and we generally then decide we look at references we look at reference points of what they're thinking for the direction they want to go in the ballet um you know i worked with this great choreographer um morgan ranica temple um she's doing great things at the moment with uh, ballet of ireland and with, with the english national ballet i worked with her on the project um and she kind of approached me having heard Something I had written in a kind of a film noir style as like a as a portfolio piece, really. And she had this idea for a ballet that kind of used those shapes and visuals and and sentiments. Um, right. And her starting point was this like Orson Welles film, this quite obscure thing called The Lady from Shanghai. And there's this scene at the end where there's this horde of mirrors and they kind of shoot each other and it's this whole the, the lovers shoot each other. Right. And um, but anyway, so we had this kind of creative starting point, and then we sat down. And what I do for for concert work actually is this is like really crude thing called an intensity graph. I call it where I kind of I, I I'm a very visual person and I kind of I draw. And this isn't graphical notation, right? I, I, I'm quite kind of conventional that I use, I mean, I'm a very thematic, like I'm, I'm a melodist, you know, and, right. and someone told, you know, 
the music director of the EMB told me that and I had to sort of suppress this twinge of academic shame and I was like well you know okay that's kind of what I am um <laughs> but you know so I, I draw this this thing called a called an intensity graph which I sometimes do with the choreographers as well where we decide you know where are the high points where are the climax points where are the points that are going to be really dense texturally where are these kind of resting points and breath points and it's very crude it's not like we're not like mapping individual elements of rhythm and, and melody and stuff like that because i mean that's still in the ether but it's just an idea of form and of shape that i think often works when you're trying to sort of pull something from nothing and i find that using that process with choreographers is very helpful because often they have a similar idea in the kind of movements and how many people they're using the kind of gestures that they want to create the kind of feeling that they want for their work right. um, so we kind of meet minds there is it kind and of? Then, is and, it, you know, I'm a visual, and then you know, sometimes you can use text in a similar way. You know, I like writing for voice as well. Ryan. Yeah, sorry. I was, was gonna say, is is it sort of like mind mapping kind of thing that you're doing? Like no, no, it's an X Y axis kind of graph where I draw like a curve. Like it's very, it's weird. Okay. I mean, it's like a, it's but but the the interpretation of it is loose. It's not. It's kind of like a. Where is this going to be most? Where's the most movement and dynamism and density i mean you could do it for all sorts of elements but uh, but it's it's i don't know it's a kind of a sense of the shape of the work i know it doesn't really sound very academic and it, it, it is a very as i said it's a rough approximation that kind right. of you have to discuss the context of in order for you both to understand right um but it's, it's kind of a sense of of growth in the work towards certain peak points i mean if you it's it, you could like you can make it analogous i guess also to like if you look at the structure of film, like film is divided into acts as well. Yeah. And uh, just like opera, you know, and I mean, opera is a very good analogy for film, actually, more than other uh, dramatic works. And, uh, you, you know, you, you have these turning points at the end of each act where something has to happen that drives the action forward. You know, so you kind of, you, you have to decide, are you starting big, getting small in the middle, and then your turning point turns around? Or are you kind of growing somewhere? And I think I kind of just, it's a kind of musically when you apply it to the musical structure for me it's just kind of how my brain works it kind of just gives you a, a kind of a route to follow and then you can kind of flesh out the details on the way if right. that makes sense right. um and and as i said i'm quite a visual person so i find this kind of visual locking in of a of a of, a, of an arc to be quite useful to me on the graph do you ever sort of include any uh sort of motives or notational ideas on it or is it yeah. just very yeah sometimes, okay sometimes it's look it's very bare bones and it's really just a starting point like notational ideas yes those things i think those come more easily to me uh, sorry motivic ideas uh you know like i've i mean we're kind of going into to stylistic questions now um if that's okay I can welcome to, to that yeah, yeah. um but I, you know, I've always been a thematic composer, I think, you know, it's something that just kind of happens naturally for me. I'm, I'm fairly good at coming up with, with ideas, which I then, uh, with thematic ideas, whether it's melodic or, or rhythmic or, or harmonic that I, that I can then develop. Like I went through this, as I said, you know, like I was working on this unsilenced ballet with English National Ballet and um, the, the MD, the MD of the EMB, Gavin Sutherland, who's a really, he's a great guy and he's a, a ballet conductor all over the UK, but, you know, he knows a lot about his stuff. And, you know, we were discussing the style of the work, and he said, oh, well, you're a melodist, like, just, just like that. Right. You know, and, and I did feel a bit like, oh, you know, what would what would the professors say? But, but you know, 
you are what you are. I think it's, people have something that they gravitate towards naturally. Yes. And I think finding that and working on that is always a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this very academic influenced phase, which was kind of asymmetric and atonal music that was very much, you know, like trying different approaches, trying tone rows, trying like aleatoric stuff and trying this kind of central focus on sound creation, extended technique, gesture, all of that stuff. Yeah. And those things are, that's not to say I don't think about those things. Um, I mean, I think about that and I find ways to incorporate interesting sonic elements. And I, I mean, I love orchestrating, you know, uh, more than I love writing in, in some senses. But I think it's just, I always kind of gravitate back towards kind of thematic writing, kind of more tonal, modal, harmonic and melodic structure. And right. it's kind of what people approach me for in collaboration yeah. anyway. It's kind of what people like that I work with. It's what they ask me for. Uh, and so I, mean, I think a lot about timbre, definitely. But um, and, and sometimes in film, you do have to go into a very like soundscapey mode because a lot of filmmakers are worried about their work being overshadowed by a strong theme. You know, they don't want John Williams. <laughs> yes. They want you know, something else. Um, but, you know, I love John Williams. Uh, yeah, like, I know. There are a lot of really good thematic composers like Alexander Desclat, who I love uh, now, but, you know, who have a light touch. Um, so I've had, to, I've had to learn to show restraint a little bit with that as well when working on film, particularly. Ballet is great for that. Yeah. I, I can't remember if, if I've mentioned this before in any of these. This is the problem of doing these weekly yeah. is that I sometimes, yeah. I, I'm certain I repeat myself. Yeah, one, I'm sure. But yeah. the, the, uh, there was a film, uh, no, it was a, a sort of a short animation that I wanted to soundtrack for. And the what was quite funny was the the whoever the client was communicated yeah. to the director sort of something along the lines of us like, yeah, you know, I don't know this music like referring to the stuff that I did sort of like, you know, it, it's sort of very John Williamsy, and <laughs> the, like, oh, the director, <laughs> the director bless him turned around and was like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you wanted something big and epic, and they were like, no, 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 oh, big okay. and epic is fine. It's like, okay, thank we're, you. We're that... Talk about like interpreting what directors say about music because I'm gonna get to that because that's another another kettlefish. It's so difficult. Yeah, no, but. <laughs> but um, it's like, th yeah. thanks for going to the bat for me, man. <laughs> like, but, yeah. Well, that's good. You know, it's good to have people on your team, isn't it? Yeah. On your side. Because, so, I mean, yeah, I mean they chose you for a reason. You know, there was something about what you wrote, obviously, that was, was clicking. Right. Um, and and yeah. I, I think, so I'm just thinking about, you know, I, I definitely just thinking about my style. And, you know, I don't think I've changed that drastically, stylistically. Right. You know, from, from early days. I mean, I... I I, I'm, I'm, I was always kind of, you know, I went through this phase of, of trying other things, but I've always kind of been uh, thematic, melodic, and, but, but something I have noticed if I sort of mull over what I do now, how I work and the end result is that, you know, I used to be very focused on line and like linear development of themes, like a lot of horizontal movements and I'd that'd be my kind of point of departure and, and, and counter melodies and I'd kind of build texture a lot with polyphony and, right. and contrapuntal stuff getting quite technical but you know that gets very complex very fast and performers hate you and, and that kind of thing and then but you know over, the t over time and I think this has been influenced you know by film writing and dance writing I've become a lot more focused on pulse and like rhythmic elements metric structure and also like vertical writing certain types of voicings you know when you, you when you when you are creating like a more static film score you know you have to think a lot about register and and the way you're voicing chords and things like that and, and and so so my my thought process is is a lot more in that region than so much about you know what is the theme going to be you yeah. know because that's something that kind of just comes as a knee jerk whereas this 
kind of structural stuff and, and particularly rhythmic. You know, I actually go towards rhythm more as a, as a theme or as a, as a motivic element more than I ever did before. And I think that has been influenced sort of by the, the process of, you know, when, when you get a, when an editor cuts a film, they actually do edit rhythmically as well. There's like a, there's an inherent pace in a film that you're watching and that can kind of drive your your musical response and then vice versa you can kind of create a sense of pace with your musical response and similarly with ballet you know dancers need something to latch onto so much and they're, they're so there's such a, a physical response to to a, a striking rhythm and or, or or just the repetitive pulse you know um so i think i've become less focused so much on like pitch derived motifs and, and a little bit more into you know, those other elements. The, the other thing is, um, I'm really into, I feel like I'm, I've become also maybe through this, the use of my music, um, like very invested in like creating a sense of place. This is going to sound a bit esoteric, but like a sense of place while writing, like a, a feeling of being somewhere, like a sense of location. And that's not necessarily like geolocation or like geographical. I mean, it can be in film, they want you to set it somewhere, but it can get very cartoonish sometimes. But it, but but more just a, a, a kind of a, a, just a vague sense of being present in a certain space. Like in, in, in maybe it's like scene setting. It's not really narrative, but it, it's, it's sort of scene setting. And I think uh, that kind of comes down to being quite visual, like a visual thinker as well. And, and I, I'm, I'm also a bit of like a, and this kind of draws back to what I said about geolocation, like I'm a bit of a kind of a cultural magpie in some ways, like I'm always listening, you know, I, I'm interested in a lot of like non-Western classical musical traditions, and like I often when I'm listening to them, I, I kind of, I listen out for elements and, and practices which like really resonate with me in some way, um, but not in an on-the-nose way, just like what is it about this that's creating this stirring you know that right. it, it, it could be like a different phrase structures like as, these asymmetrical bar structures that they sometimes use you know i'm listening to a lot of like persian music persian classical music at the moment just through this is the good thing about living in london is that you're exposed to so many different people from different backgrounds and i have this iranian friend who um introduced me to persian classical music and this is amazing composer called shajarian how pomoyun shajarian and you know when i listen to it it's just the way they build tension is just crazy and it's but so good like and, right. and they use these sort of asymmetrical three bar phrases and like hemiola in this crazy way and this very elastic meter that's very linked to persian like classical poetry as well and follows the inflection of the language and it gets like really powerful um they have this drum called a tombak and they use it as a solo instrument and this this is so virtuosic and it just takes on almost the qualities of a pitched instrument with this like insane improvisatory uh passages but then it's like really beautiful breathing as well anyway like i listen to these things and i think you know god how can i capture something of what they've done right and kind of present it out of context you know you can put it in a in a standard in quotes kind of orchestration context and totally you write a very like diatonic melody but there's something there's something about the structuring of the phrase or the, or the structuring of the the meter which alludes to, to to something new you know and and i think i think people from those those musical traditions are also aware of wanting to integrate their music with with other traditions um a friend of mine who's this irish um Bauran, you know little drum player he did this documentary about these iranian drummers as well right. and there's this like scene where he's playing this celtic music and they're playing Israeli music, and somehow you can hear they're different, but they work together and they're drawing on the same kind of spirit. And it's it's really it's quite it, you know it's powerful. So yeah, all I'm saying is you know what I'm interested in is not necessarily caricaturizing 
you know, other musical traditions, but there's, there's things, and often directors come to you with reference tracks in a film or, or even in a ballet. You know, I was asked to like, can you, I was given this like something in Portuguese fado style with a guitarist and a singer, and she didn't want me to, to it wasn't said in Portugal, but there was something, right. about, there was something about this, this piece there's like a sense of, of longing or tension that she wanted to recreate and I think I, I like to look at what is it about this musical tradition that's creating this response like what is the musical practice that's doing that and how can I apply that to something that's me in that way right. so I, I kind of like to use that as like a, a tool you know so I'm very aware of, of, of other musical traditions as well and I think also even chord voicings in, in different musical traditions are very interesting to listen to you can you can like rarely in embed a sense of, of place or culture if, if, if you wanted to if you wanted to do it for a film or even just create something that sounds innovative like into a total alien to it instrumentation and, and or chord progression just by you know just by using a specific chord voicing like a mixing of registers or you know specific like i said a, a different phrase structure and and you know with this unsilenced ballet i did for the emb it was actually focused quite loosely um, not not in a narrative way, but in a conceptual way on the life of um, Malala Yousafzai. So this Pakistani, I, I'm sure everyone knows her, her story. And it was it was part of this uh, this series of commissions that they had done about empowering women and girls throughout the world, but also in the arts. And they commissioned a lot of female composers, female choreographers. And so this mess it was this kind of message of empowerment. And it, uh, when I wrote it, there were four different choreographers. And so instinctively, I was thinking about, you know, can we can we do this kind of universal message of drawing from different musical traditions in some way, but then kind of having a meeting of mind, having a convergence um, without being too in your face about it. And, you know, I was totally, you know, I was totally out of context with a lot of things. Yeah, I, I used a lot of like Celtic rhythms and things like that. But somehow you still got the same feeling of this little girl in Pakistan, like being brilliant and fearless and joyous, you know, right. um, while listening to an almost like Celtic sounding, really ripping kind of 6-8 sort of uh, rhythmic motif, you know, and with piccolos and cellos kind of thing, right, you know, right. and, and somehow there was this, you capture something of these different musical traditions, the different cultural traditions, even if you're not using literal interpretations of it. like a couple of uh, sort of uh, some stylistic things um, yeah. but who would you consider to be sort of like a, one of your biggest musical influences god <laughs> this is so this is so it's very very difficult um and i think i think i i'm gonna kind of like refrain from like naming names because i think i think it's, it just really depends on what i'm on, on on what i'm writing you know as i said before like i'm very I'm, i think i'm most influenced by my contemporaries, by my creative contemporaries, than than by the, you know the great masters in this way. Obviously, that's passive. I think you you're exposed to this repertoire, this musical repertoire and vocabulary from a young age, and, and you, what you take, you take. You know, um, 
but like actively kind of aware my sort of my active awareness of, of influence is, is kind of an, an inspiration it's definitely kind of what's going around on around me like right now you know and in other music genres other composers other art forms uh even in like in politics in tech you know stuff that's being made now kind of wants to it, it makes me want to make too you know like right. i was talking about my my choreographer friend even when i'm not working with her this is morgan ranica temple who i worked with on give my love to the sunrise which was kind of my first ballet work actually and and led to more this is what i'm talking about networking it led to more ballet work so yes. we'll talk about that um uh, you know, she, even when she's doing stuff that I'm not involved in, I get very inspired. Just what there's this way that she moves and the way that she makes her dancers move and these gestures, which just sort of beg for, uh, for 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 music and and certain treatments. And you know, I, I'm I'm very inspired. I'm kind of as I said, like a bit of a magpie. I'm very inspired by stuff like the breadth of things that's going on rather than the length. And you know, certainly there, there's so many South African composers which which I love as well. Like um, Cara Stacy, I love what she does, like right. sonically. You don't really hear it in my work, but when I listen to her, I'm like, Jesus, I need to, I want to think about interesting sounds, you yes. know. Um, and like Amy Leyendake or uh, Amy Crankshaw, who's a friend of mine who I, I, I see quite a lot here in London. Right. Like she does, she does really amazing stuff. I hope you, I hope you get on her on the show. As oh, well. definitely. Yeah, no, no, no. I had, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. I've heard quite yeah. a few things of hers. There's a piano, a yeah. piano trio that I heard a while back. Yes, yes. A couple of orchestral stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yes, I absolutely love that. And yeah. like when I listen to them, they really inspire me to like create, to try new things, to like innovate with orchestration, to like go into um, more uh, forms of synthesis. You know, like even though I'm kind of a conventional. I, I, I hesitate to say conventional, but you know, I I, I see my work as a slightly more conventional sounding than some of my contemporaries. But you know, I definitely, you know, I play around a lot with with synthesis forms, with sound creation, and I think of ways to integrate that into what I do. And, right. and then when I listen to people who are doing such interesting things, it drives me to to push myself and to innovate. And and the other thing I was thinking about is that I think the tools that are available now, like, also inform choices a lot. Like. I don't think we have to pretend we're like cutting up tape to create electronic music anymore. You yes. know, like there's so many, there's so many easily available and accessible like resources with DAWs, BST technology, and, and you know, even for more com like conventional sounding composer to like expand your timbre palette to like, it, or you can use it as a total compositional approach if you want, you know, yeah. but effectively I am doing electroacoustic composition as well just not in the way that you'd expect it you know I, yeah. I use synth beds and these like evolving pads that I create all the time underneath string text you're underneath you know string lines and things like that you know and which I create from scratch you know different forms of filtering and synthesis and or, or you know sometimes just from samples you run stuff through so I mean I think the nice thing about this kind of I, yeah I think the nice thing about about film music for me and uh, is that it kind of I think it frees you a little bit from these like arbitrary stylistic constraints we place on each other and you kind of you work in service of something and I think that can be very generative like working in service of another or of a shared creative vision can be very very stimulating for me yeah. and 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 whether or not it sounds like me or sort of stylistically is is identified as me. I think other people will tell you that. I think other people listen to what you do and say, "Oh, yeah, that does sound like you." Right. But but for me, working, I don't really set out to to say, "Oh, you know, this is this is me." It's it's more about serving the project. I think, and even in my concert work, you know, I often use. I did what I mean. This is kind of drawing into what I wanted to say. Like I I I like to work from poetry. I like to work from text as well. Because it gives me a, spr a springboard, you know. I've become a bit spoiled. Like I find it so difficult to, to just kind of 
approach a piece from an abstract place. I like to have like a germinating seed of some kind. And I, I find settings of, of text to be very, very stimulating in that way. Um, right. Even if I'm not actually using the text. So like sometimes I'll lift, like read a poem and draw kind of metric influence from like meter and, and, and pattern, uh, rhythmic patterns and phrasing from it. And then actually use that in a piece, even if I'm not actually using the text, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. um, yeah. And um, so, so I, I like, I always need something as a springboard, like a recent piece that, that I've done. And it doesn't really demonstrate like what I was talking about rhythm or pulse that well, but it shows kind of a refinement of kind of me thinking about chord voicings and uh, even a simplification of the way I write melodically. And, and a bit more focus on, on like stress patterns and things like that it is, is a poem by this great British contemporary poet called Catherine Towers. And she just writes so, she actually writes about music a lot because she came from a musical family. So there's a lot of musical inference in her, in her work. But also, you know, drawing back, she, she, her work is very place-based. When you read it, you feel like you're in it. Like she uses a lot of allegory and metaphor about being somewhere. And I think that place will be different for everyone in the way she writes, but you, you can't really escape that kind of transporting quality that her work has. And so this piece that I, I, I wrote a, a choral work um, called The Way We Go, which was based on this really beautiful poem, which kind of rather beautifully I sort of saw while sitting on the London Underground. They used to have this lovely um, initiative where they had poems on the underground and, and, and there would be the, a, a, printing, a printout of a poem from a living, uh, there were some old ones, but, but mostly from living poets, just above above the tube map, you know, and right. you just sit there, kind of, maybe your phone battery died and you couldn't play Sudoku or whatever, but, because uh, you can't get, you can't be on Instagram down there because of the, they don't have any network, but yeah. you know, but maybe your phone battery died and they have, and, they have, and so you look up and there was just this beautiful, this beautiful poem and, but it was so it was so simple and just so lovely and it, it stuck with me for years you know and then I, I got this commission from a Swedish choir well it was a competition actually uh, a Swedish male voice choir who who were looking for more works by women composers as well right. and I thought you know this is the poem this is this is the use for this poem and I contacted her and I I wrote to her because she's you know she's living I didn't want to use her work without her permission obviously um I wrote to her and I said how would you feel about me setting this for voice? I, I want to do a, an art song version and also a choral version. And she was thrilled. She was so thrilled. So composers right. out there, if if you want to write to text, use Living Poet and say, your work moves me. You know, I, I want to set it to music because they will be so receptive. It's like the <laughs> biggest honor like for, for them. That, that, you know, because I think everyone has this fear that their you know, work is insignificant in some way. But the fact that it's moved another creative person to inspire their work is, I think it's so it's so poignant there was and important. a South yeah. Afri- so there's the a string quartet work of mine uh called yeah. truce he asked um yes. which i had is based on the first line of a poem by a south african poet and the poet i can't remember the name of the poet but the poem is called forgive and forget <laughs> i know it is really it is what it's like i should know this because like for a long for yeah. a while this used case, to be sort of like the most kind of so much part of you doesn't it yeah. <laughs> well it, for a while this used to be like one of my most performed pieces so maybe i should remember yeah. the name of the poet but that's yeah. not the point <laughs> the point is that like well, i got she... the lyrics wrong i got the lyrics wrong in my song and she said laura 
that wasn't actually the word I used. Oh, so don't shit. worry. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, she she clearly Googled herself and found truce. Yeah. Like I credited her somewhere online that she yeah. found it. Yeah. But it was just this kind of like not awkward email, but along the lines of like, yeah. I see you've written something based on my poem, and kind of having to reply, it's like, yes, actually, more specifically, I based something on like the first line of your poem. Like, yeah. does that yeah, count? Yeah, yeah. Kind of well, like. I mean, I'm sure she was like really touched. But it can be a really, it can be the the start of a really interesting creative friendship or collaborative partnership yeah. to actually reach out, you know, as well beforehand and say, uh, maybe you'll end up writing an opera with the person. I don't know, you know, who yeah. knows. So anyway, this this piece, the way we go, I've I've drawn back to this this feel of wanting to create a space and a place with it, and I think also kind of subconsciously, I was I was thinking a lot about like Scandinavia has a really rich choral tradition, and and also like Iceland. I'm sure you know like Icelandic hymns and sort right. of th- their music and and that's very much just about the, the register of the voice the voicing of of chords the sort of stress patterns and somehow it it's so transporting and and it 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 can it creates a spaciousness and also a closeness and and these feelings of, of warmth and then this like cold kind of uh, sort of tundra like sense of of space and and i kind of without wanting to be esoteric about it, i think i just sort of subconsciously put that in it a little bit, but also drawing from the, the words that Catherine had used, which was so focused on, on place. And, I, you know, I'm seeing this so much in my work now and whether or not it's concert work or whether it's, you know, film, filmic and, and dance related, like I'm thinking a lot about being somewhere or wanting to make people feel like they are somewhere, whether that's a, whether it is a geographic location, you know, fine, but, you know, without wanting to be too on the nose about it, but also just, I don't know, you, you want to immerse people somehow and and whether that's a, a phrasing or a voicing or a or a melody or whatever I'm, I'm i'm interested in that
this is usually kind of the, the, the hardest question of the lot, but as a yeah. composer, how do you survive or make a living? Ooh, million dollar question, except not literally, right? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I will, without wanting to, to toot my own horn in a way, I've gotten some pretty well-paid commissions, which do sustain me, and I've, I've been very lucky in that. And a lot of, um, but I do also, uh, I'll talk about those in a second, but I do also teach. Right. Um, I do also perform. Uh, I do a lot of accompanying as well. I'm a pianist, uh, and I do like ad hoc session work as a cellist. I mean, when when the you know when the, when the in between projects, put it that way, because you know once they give you this lump sum, you kind of have to make it last somehow. And then you know some of the things that I've I've worked on also generate royalties, like passive income in that way, um, which is the good thing about working with film, I guess, because yeah. it's a very well worn. Uh, royalty collection process which in in europe it's i don't know how good it is in, in sa i won't comment on that but in europe although no i got royalties for in south african work the samurai is doing something definitely but 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 in europe there's a very good um the performing rights uh, the uk have the prs performing rights society who, who work really well and really hard on behalf of their members um to, to collect um, performance royalties and and mechanical royalties as well so so yeah i mean i i earn income from that way but definitely it's kind of a portfolio approach to income um which i'm sure most composers relate to yeah in fact if not if not most musicians you know i even i, I mean i i did some computer science courses as well um when i was studying and i i even went through a phase of kind of like building <laughs> coding websites for people you know and music schools and like you know programming and stuff like that so you know there's all sorts of ways to to kind of to, make, to make use whatever meet. skills you yeah. have lying around but in terms of composing um you know the the good commissions I've had have have really felt like like flukes. You know, um, I, the, the the English National Ballet. I mean, it sounds so like high profile, you know, but it was really kind of accidental. Morgan, who I've mentioned a few times, this uh, a, a long a sort of a a go to choreographer of mine. She found, as I said, she found something that I'd done online, like on literally on SoundCloud, and she and she sent me an email. She said, "Well, you know, I've been approached by the English National Ballet." God, fuck horror, to create something for their choreographics project, which kind of is an initiative that promotes young choreographers. And I really love what you did here. Could you do something kind of in that vein and let's expand it, you know? And I said, okay, yeah, cool, let's let's meet up. And so we, we worked for several months on this project, Give My Love to the Sunrise, and then it was at Sadler's Wells, you know, for a couple of a couple of performances. Yeah. And then, you know, on, on the, the, the Friday performance, it was like the second performance or something, I wasn't even going to go, you know, I went to the first one and I went to the the dress rehearsal or whatever and then I kind of you know, there's only so much of my own listening to my own stuff I can take um and I wasn't gonna go but then after but I decided to go for some reason yeah. and, and then afterwards the musical director of the English National Ballet who had been in the audience came up to me and said oh was that yours and I said yeah he said, well it just so happens that we're you know we're looking for, for someone to do this we've got this triple bill called she said at Sadler's Wells coming up in March next year and you know, we're looking for someone. It was actually look to me. To be honest, it was members of the English National Ballet and also English National Ballet Youth Co. who did Unsilenced, the next one. And he said we're looking for someone to do the to do the the youth company's contribution to this triple bill. And, and we wanted to focus on women. We want a woman composer, and we like really like what you did. You know, can we talk? Do you have a card? Luckily, I had like a beat up business card. You know, people still like business cards. So yeah. Just, you know, you think it's all online. It is. And I'm very much about, you know, self-promotion and uh, through social media and like, just do it, you know, get yourself out there. But like business cards, if, if you're dealing with people who are part of an organization and maybe a bit older or whatever, they like a business card. So luckily yes. I had a business card 
And I, I thought it was, I thought he was just talking, you know, I didn't know. The next, like, you know, on the Monday, I got an email saying, hello, Laura, you know, this is whatever from the development department at the ENB and we want to talk to you. So, you know, and then I went along and, and, and got this commission and, and it became a whole thing. Similarly, the, the Elephant Refugees film I did, it was a cold call. Like I was looking, there's some, there's some amazing websites, like there's something called The Knowledge, which tells you about all sorts of film productions that are currently in currently being made at the moment currently in production in in a post-production stage whatever and it gives you actually the contact details of the people who are working on them the producers the editors you know the creative team whatever and i actually just read about this documentary on this sort of this call sheet and i i just emailed the director and i just said have you got a composer <laughs> you right. know? and she said you know what <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and, right. and she was actually she's an Academy Award winning director, and she's done some really incredible documentaries. And uh, you, you know she, she's she's great, Louise Hogarth. And she and and she just and she listened. I sent her some like appropriately kind of African influenced stuff, and I kind of played the angle that you know I, I I can give you an authentic sound, and this is what I do, and this is what I've done. And I just pitched myself pretty hard, and she went for it, you know. And, right. and so that was like a very lucky. A very lucky thing, and you know the film's going to be at Cannes this year. Cannes, I don't know how to say it. Right. Cannes Film Festival, whatever. And they've just told it to a really uh, like high-profile <laughs> yeah. distributor, and you know, yeah. so I'm hoping to get like a windfall of cash from that outside of the commission, drawing back to the financial side. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of these things are luck. A lot of it's accessibility. A lot of it's being in the right place. So, um, you know, as much as the creative side of it is what drives us as composers, there's a business savvy, or at least just showing up. You know, this is a, you, yeah. you asked. I, I think I listened to some of your other podcasts, and there was a question about like advice. You know, for for young composers, I think be present at your performances. Like, yeah. be present at your rehearsals. Show up. Talk to people who are involved in the staging. Talk to other people. Talk to the costume department. Whatever. Like, just chat to people in general and like yeah. make a rapport. And also, don't be afraid to just actually take a chance and like reaching out. And most people get rejected. I mean, you get rejected. I've been rejected so many times, and and I always get rejected. I mean, I get rejected now all the time. Right. So I mean, I think I think that there will be one person who does get the email, <laughs> with your yes. track, but make sure you send it like send appropriate stuff. Don't just say listen to my link. Send a track that you think would work for their project. That you say I listen to. I read about your film. This is why I like your film. This is why I want to work on your film or on your, if this is for people who want to do film, but it could be for anyone. It could be with an ensemble you want to work with. Yeah. And like, this is what the kind of sound that I think would work for your film. And you give them something that you've done already. You have a high, like a nice, fairly decent quality recording of a demo or something. And, and people appreciate that, like that you've invested time in researching their work and in researching the project that they're working on. And then you tailor your pitch to that. And I think that's probably the best thing. People aren't going to click on a, a random playlist and go through it. Like, it, no one has the time. So I think I think that would be, like, a really good suggestion. It's, <laughs> it's like, show up and tailor your response and just, like, don't be afraid to, to push yourself out there. Right. You know, it's hard for me. I'm very introverted. It doesn't sound like it now. Like, I'm turning this <laughs> on in a big way. But... But like I, I, I find it very difficult to, to kind of put myself out there. But right. it's something that you learn. It's hard one, you know. You learn right, it right. as you go. So you've mentioned yeah. a couple of, of performances and stuff that you've been involved in. Yeah. What would yeah. you say is a favorite performance memory of yours? Instinctively, I just sort of draw back to this project, the last project I did with the English National Ballet, the Unsilenced Ballet, particularly because there were kids involved. There's a, the EMB Youth Company, but they also got some other children from local schools involved and they got involved in look they had choreographers and they had some soloists and then they had sort of like chorus children as well and it was all, all about this collaboration between these people at different stages of their dance careers 
And similarly with the orchestra, they used some people from the RCMP as well. And I just remember we had this rehearsal where, where the choreographers had kind of come up with most of the things and they were leading the kids in certain numbers. And I, you know, I was with the orchestra and communicating with the conductor and listening and just kind of, kind of in the background, just standing and watching. And the feeling was just like all these people moving to music that you created. There's something about like, it was inspiring them to move their body, to be involved in it. These kids from like totally different, like very diverse cultural background in this like old English Georgian building with very kind of ornate uh, fittings inside the rehearsal room. And I, I don't know, it was just, a, it was, uh, it sounds really like kind of, eh. but, but, but it, I felt, I felt really moved by, by it and really honored and just really, really happy. Like just very content that, that, that so many, uh, that I could be a part of something and that, that, the music that I had written had given birth to other people's creative visions. I, I mean, I'm really much about like collaboration. And these right. people at different stages of their dance career, of their music career, all responding in their own unique way, but also in a converging way to, to, to music that I'd, that I'd had, a, had a hand in creating. And also, you know, the dance, I work with a great team of choreographers on that as well. And I think, I, I think of that a lot. That it was, a, it was in a rehearsal, actually. It wasn't even the performance. But it was just watching them coming to terms with it, internalizing certain elements and you could see some of the kids were responding to certain musical elements more there were little there was like one kid just went mad for this like triangle solo bit that's <laughs> but this girl was just like she was feeling it you know just like moving your body in this crazy way and i think that it kind of i i felt very it warmed me in some way you know and i i i, I draw back to that a lot if i right. feel, feel down um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. in, in that uh, sort of same ballpark, you, you spoke a little bit about yeah. it earlier, um, but I know it's one of those, like, what, the things you talk about before and hits record, but what would you, uh, well, what is your favorite piece? What Currently at the moment, what would you say is a favorite work of yours? <laughs> well, look, I'm not going to say a favorite piece. Like, it, it really varies, like, from time to time and anyway, how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm currently, like, quite happy I'll say I'm happy with it. Let's say I'm content right. with it. I don't know if it's favorite, but but so I, I was I was going back and updating, um, you know, th this Elephant Refugees project, which I was talking about, where I approached the director and we worked on this, this documentary, which is all about um, it's about elephants in Botswana who have fled poaching in other countries because Botswana has a no poaching law, a poaching ban. But there was a really bad drought. I mean, in South Africa, it affected you as well, um, and so they they had this kind of double threat of poaching outside the borders and dying of thirst inside the borders. And there's this kind of family who's, who set up a lodge and devoted all of their resources from previous tourism business, actually, into providing water, pumping water in for these elephants. And that's kind of what the documentary focuses on. And it's, it's a really great piece and, and really deals with some important issues that make you think. But the opening titles for that piece, which I actually partially wrote before I even got the gig and is what kind of made them hire me in some way, Right. And I also said, let me score the opening as well, because this is when I was still negotiating the contract. And then I went and refined and so on. Anyway, and I was going through my, I was updating my website now. And it was from last year, but I, yeah, I listened to it. I said, you know, this is a good opening sequence. And I actually felt, you know, it's very filmic. It's not pushing too hard, but it's powerful. And it, it creates, again, the sense of being somewhere without being too on the nose, like, oh, in Africa, you know, like cartoonish, kind of almost insulting way, yes. uh, which a lot of films do. Like, I wrote a whole uh, a whole thesis in my master's about the kind of othering that film music can do, where it can and kind of be quite insulting to other cultural traditions when, when representing them 
geographically, like right. you know, uh, particularly African music as well. But but I think I think I, I was happy with the balance I struck. There's some sort of African elements, and there's some big sort of cinematic uh, orchestral elements. And yeah, it just I think it worked, you know. And it's just an opening. It's not really a piece. It's a it's a it's a cue. It's a couple of minutes, but but I'm I'm kind of kind of digging it. Yeah. So. <laughs> the best advice that you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor there's something that sticks out in my head and i don't think it was intentional advice it was just an author and comment which struck a chord with me i hope you have some like some some fill you know some pads that you can hit there some patches of, yeah. of drum rolls and things um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've got some stories about weird uh, weird samples but anyway it was during a lesson you know, I, I was probably in my early 20s and during a lesson um, at World Concert Music with, with Joe Horowitz and I think I was, I can't remember, we were talking about Chopin or we were talking about some, you know, great master, revered, venerated figure in music and, you know, he, he made some kind of disparaging remark. He said, yeah, he was a bit hit or miss in that phase, wasn't he? And I sort of looked at him and it was sort of, sort of the first time that I that I thought, God, you know, even really great composers, great composers write sometimes you know and and, and oh, it yeah. kind of took so much pressure off yeah. me and i just thought you know like you're dealing with human beings who go through developments who don't always hit it 
who sometimes just have a terrible thematic idea, who sometimes do terrible things sonically, who just, there was no need to do what they did, but they did it anyway. You yeah. know? And, and, and it, it just kind of humanized the whole process for me, because I think when you come through, you come through an undergrad degree, and you come through, you, you kind of, you live in the shadow of these great figures all the time, and you feel like, you know, oh, you know, everything I write has to be my, you know, magnum opus, and has to show who I am, and, you know, establish me, and I think just, be okay with the fact that most of the things that you write are probably not going to be that great, yeah. and or at least you won't think they're that great, but every now and again you're going to hit a gem and there's going to be something that sticks out. And I think once you start to kind of accept that and to just to just explore and, and drop the ego, think more about the music and being a vehicle for it, that sounds very hippie-ish, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I like exactly. collaborating because you, you, can, you can let go of it because it isn't about you, yeah. actually. It is about the project. And I think that brings out my best work, which ironically then establishes me and establishes a style that I have right. in the choices I make. And I, I think that's the thing. I think except that, that, that not all your works are going to be great and that not all of other people's works are great and even people that you admire write rubbish sometimes. And I, I think that, that was something that really stuck with me. I, I know it's think like of a that. very psychological uh, <laughs> sort of point, not really a creative one. But, no, um, but it, yeah, it's the thing of don't like... Don't be afraid of your failure. I, I always think of, like, people who kind of, like, rave about, like, you know, Beethoven can do no wrong. Yeah. It's just, oh, like, no. clearly they they've... Don't... Firstly, they've never heard Wellington's victory, which is, yeah. like... Yeah. And, and secondly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they've, they've never had to play those, like, fucking uh, Beethoven, the, the Deutsche Tänze or something like that, you know, yeah. like, for a <laughs> wedding gig. And they to play like, some of his lesser-known piano sonatas, but you can tell he's just trying to get people to not play them. <laughs> he, like, he totally lost interest halfway through started doing strange Alberti based stuff that no one can reach and you're just like you know he, he was he was over it by this point probably wouldn't go out for a drink <laughs> yes. or something you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. I think even these huge sort of these bastions of, of compositional prowess that we all like revere they also miss the mark a lot and I think allowing yourself like room to fail room to just experiment and uh, you know and and just take the pressure off you know i think it's a it's a good approach um yeah it's a healthy approach i hope yeah <laughs> so along those lines i mean you you mentioned uh, a couple of things beforehand but what would you suggest either to an aspiring composer or uh to the new music scene in south africa as a whole i guess my mind sort of casts back to what i said about about networking about being present at rehearsals, being present at performers, uh, at performances, like talking to performers, working with performers, working with other creative, creating a kind of a, a cross-pollination of ideas, creating, yeah, I mean, I guess in South Africa, you know, I speak as someone who's kind of, I wouldn't say escaped, but, but gone somewhere else uh, where there is slightly, you know, the UK is not that not as good as continental Europe, actually, in terms of funding the arts, but, but it, certainly the opportunities are more for actually for actual performance spaces and performance practices um, right. and, and for working with other people. But I think I think there needs to be, yeah, I, I, there needs to be more networking. I think composers need to come down from the ivory tower a little bit and, and really uh, come to terms with what it is the performers want to play or enjoy playing. And that's not to say that you need to write easy stuff or, or, or kind of mundane stuff, but talk to performers and, and then also talk to, to other creatives about, but what they're doing, yeah, get involved in stuff outside of composing, mm. uh, and and I think I think yeah, show up, be ready for opportunities when they come um, as well, you know, because right. they will come at performances, they will come at rehearsals, they will come 
when you're not looking for them as well uh, and you have to be able to, to grab them and, and go with them so yeah it's this kind of environment of fertile creativity which 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 you you have to seek in a way but also create yourself with with networks so these are the, the questions that I ask everybody. And what I like to do at the end is I like to have a, a question from the audience, as it were. If people who are listening to this would like to ask a composer anything, they can contact me on uh, Twitter. I'm at Bat Composer or I'm on Facebook or you can find me on Instagram if you like pictures of cats. Um, and uh, the question that I have here... Uh, that's how the internet was made, of course. Um, of course. <laughs> I'm sure. So the question that I have here, it's a bit of a strange one, but is what is your most embarrassing compositional moment? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Um, can I come back to you with that? <laughs> I tried to filter them out, you know. Um, <laughs> right. no, you take, you know, take your time, you can think about it. I yeah. think you have an extended technique kind of horn piece I wrote where, where the horn player just looked at me and said, and he, it is, he is Italian, and brilliant. He's like the first horn player for the LSO in like, uh, some of their concerts. He's a great, right. you know, and he said, this is a very bad piece. <laughs> wow. <laughs> If, I think I've listened to it, if I'm not mistaken. Have you? The solo, yeah, <laughs> solo like home point. He didn't like it. He, my performance, <laughs> I think when the performer vetoes your piece, you know, perhaps you're not doing the right thing. But perhaps you can still find something. You see, this is, these nice. are the dangers of speaking to performers. One shouldn't yes, speak to them, ever. <laughs> but it was just his very thick, sort of provincial Italian accent. He just said, this piece is very you know, and I said, okay, well, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I tried. It, um, uh, maybe that was embarrassing. I don't know. Sure, that was, luckily, no. he didn't do that at the performance. He didn't put his, he didn't put his beautiful French horn down and say that. But, yeah, um, Jesus. yeah. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I'll see if... I want to know who asked you that. You know, I'm so handsome. Oh, uh, find them. I could yeah, actually... <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. Like, if I if I remember correctly, there's a an, uh, a guy who's involved in academics, music academia, who listens to this quite regularly. I think it was from him, uh, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'm wondering if he's alluding to the fact that I should have had more, more embarrassing performance. Oh no, 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 no! This is these questions are asked <laughs> to any to I'm anyone. Sorry, it's sorry, it's not to a specific. <laughs> no, no, no. My artistic ego gets in the way sometimes. But like thinking with the with the the performance sheet, like I remember there was a story. I think my brother was telling me where he was playing in an ensemble, like quite a, a shit hot group in Germany, 
and yeah. not, not his his normal quartet, but like they had there was like a nor uh, a new work that they were doing, and yeah, just like a few hours before the composer was meant to arrive and work with them, they'd realized that they hadn't copied the the instruction uh, sheets. Yeah, so everyone yeah. was sort of like sitting around the piece, kind of going like, "What do you think like, this means?" <laughs> or like, "What could that?" It's just like has no one thought of maybe just phoning the guy. <laughs> like we could yeah, solve a I lot mean, of time. Like in their defense, I mean that's the performer that's not really your responsibility. I mean it's sort of your responsibility, but I mean I I made this grievous error. But you know I had made such a beautiful one. I was so annoyed. But obviously it was outside of Sibelius. You know I did it in Photoshop or something else. You know copying in little things. You know because I wanted to to lay it out so meticulously. Yeah. And you know and then and then I tried to drag it in as a set. As a, you can merge PDFs. And somehow it just didn't do it and they had just switched to this digital upload system i didn't even accept a hard copy of my portfolio everything was done by pdf right. and of course the downside of that is you can't really go back and review it and i didn't know you know it was all crunch time down to the wire you know and then just it was such a stupid like rookie mistake and i always you know i think about it and kick myself but you know what, what do you do <laughs> it's and, a- you know it was at least I had the recording to show that someone had actually played it. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I mean, yeah. if I if I were to think, if I were to look at that question and and apply it to myself, I mean, it's similar things. But I think if this makes you feel any better, like so, yours was, uh, you know, not the performance sheet. Mine was yeah. I had it was with the Free State Orchestra, where. Yes. It was something silly, like I hadn't put in phrasing markings in the woodwinds at all. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just sort of like getting this really yeah. kind of like drenched well, in eye rolling question. You're not, you're not expected to understand those things, you know. <laughs> but just <laughs> like we, we do, we do bowings, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just like getting this like so drenched in like God, you yeah. moron kind of uh, yeah. question of like how do you want this phrase? It's just like. As it's and written, so it's like you haven't game. written like, anything. How could you? Like, how could you? Yeah, yeah. No. but it's all right. You get a thick skin. You 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 develop a thick skin, and I think in the end, um, they appreciate the effort. Yeah, you know? no, no, no. <laughs> it, it's a good it's a good learning learning uh, yeah. a good way to learn. So, if people <laughs> wanted to follow you and and hear upcoming stuff, how best can they do that? So I have a website which is laurastevensmusic.co.uk needs a little bit of updating so take it with a pinch of salt but it's all right and then i also have soundcloud um which is kind of the normal soundcloud domain and then forward slash laura stevens screen music and then a separate one for concert work i don't know why i still separate them perhaps i could just put them together but just for professional reasons it's kind of easier it keeps it clean um laura stevens concert music it's pretty straightforward all one word yeah, and then I have an Instagram if you want. You're going to see also some cat pics and some selfies and other boring things in, right. alongside my... You know, I'm all about the, being the person as well as the professional, right? Um, so, And that's Laura underscore dot underscore notation. And and that was actually because when I was building websites, there's a type of, of JavaScript called uh, um, dot notation or object dot notation. And um, right. I also liked that that kind of had a musical... <laughs> right. reference as well because right. so anyway so it just kind of became a thing so you can look for me there too if you like okay, um, cool. yeah it kind of was like a company name or something uh, <laughs> never really took off but yeah so I have a, there's lots of tracks and recordings and recent things on the SoundCloud it's, I think the SoundCloud is most is updated most regularly right um, and then that kind of filters down into the website do you have any well. concerts or anything coming up that you'd like to punt I guess I, uh, the documentary so right now Nam. 
I can't think of... Uh, I've, I've got a, a string quartet that I'm writing, but I don't know about performance yet. The Elephant Refugees documentary will be on uh, live st- uh, online streaming, like Netflix. I don't know if it'll be ve- available in South Africa, but I'll try and update on my website when it is. So there'll be online streaming of that, and it will also be a Cannes Film Festival if you happen to just want to go to the south of France, oh. by all means. Um, <laughs> I hear it's lovely, I and, don't know, like... Yes, yeah, I, I hear it's lovely in May, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then I'm working on a, a, a new ballet called Moon, which is uh, with an American company. Uh, so that those will be performed in America, most likely in New York uh, or Chicago. Um, I'm working with a really good choreographer who's got a lot of traction and, and we're hoping for some performances. It's probably going to be 2020 um, because the work is still very much in development. So we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll um, update that too. I mean, that sounds very long-term. Play the long game with these collaborative projects sometimes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think if you keep an eye on my website, on the SoundCloud, and also I have a Facebook Facebook page, Laura. I think it's just Laura Stevens Composer. Please right. feel free to like or follow if you, if you feel so inclined, and there'll be updates there as well. 